05 and 06 I deployed to Kuwait I used to wait every day for them to say Nature going home I miss my life, miss my wife For 15 months she was all alone But when I got back I felt out of control Feeling entitled, I put my life on hold I keep on drinking so I'm sinking in a river of liquor Me and my wife weren't alright, I didn't reconnect with it I had a business, insurance agent, and rental properties But is there something bigger than this? I know there's gotta be so I invested in myself I started seeing coaches Life is a camera, I fixed the lens and now I see in focus Now my life's unrecognizable From my life just a couple years ago 17 plus years of marriage, it's never been better than this and we got three kids, that's who I do it for I'm called to be a leader I'ma lead the way, cause I'm a firm believer We can do anything we want If I said it, then I meant it I probably already did it Consider it done Consider it done If you need some inspiration, you should play this Championship Leadership Podcast Hey Bailey Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Championship Leadership Podcast. And uh, we have a we have a very special episode here. Um, I guess you'd say a milestone, right? The 300th Championship Leadership Podcast. And uh, it's been uh, almost four years in the making. So I have uh, no one better than uh, a great friend and mentor of mine, Jimmy Dowds from Scotland, from he said I wasn't going to be able to pronounce it, but we're going to see if we can get this right. Dunfemlin, Scotland. And uh, what you said, it's the, the kingdom of Fife. That's the name of the region. Yeah. Of the region. All right. Yeah. So thank you for being here. I appreciate it. It's a massive, massive honor. And uh, thank you for inviting us, uh, Nate. Yeah, absolutely. So a little bit of background, I guess. For those listening, Jimmy was introduced to me, boy, I don't know, two, has it been two years? Yeah. I don't know if it's been, has it been two years? I think yeah. it was. It was like kind of right during the pandemic. A good friend of ours, Danny Duran, introduced, made the introduction and and uh, we've we've been staying in touch ever since and and it's it's been fun. Now I'm, I'm looking forward to getting out to Scotland at, at some point here, but we were chatting last week. You know, if you're listening to this, what is it? It's uh, April, end of April of 2022. Um, but we were chatting last week and uh, I said, hey, I got my 300th episode and I should probably make a big deal out of this. And he said, yeah, absolutely you should. And and then I asked him, I was like, what significance is there of 300 in the Bible? And, uh, and you mentioned Gideon's army of 300 soldiers. And I thought that would be a perfect kind of topic of conversation. We can talk about all kinds of other things as well. But before we do get into too much of that, there is one question I like to ask on my podcast guests. So I'm, I'm going to uh, shoot this over to you and, and see what your response is. And then we can kind of get into your background a little bit so that people can get familiar with you. But Championship Leadership is the name of the podcast. It's always interesting to hear, you know, because I've had some folks from across the pond, as they say on, on the podcast before, and they always have a little bit more, a little different definition than some of us stateside here. So championship leadership is the name of the podcast. What comes to mind when you hear championship leadership? Okay. So what comes to mind is uh, to, 
you know, listening to the previous answers that have been given on here, uh, it's been tremendous. And, it, and it's a bit like, can you add to that? But I'm just going to shoot straight for it. Because um, the list I have here of three or four, I'm, I'm not sure I've heard on here before, but um, for me, they're, they're, they're the top four personally. Mm -hmm. And I respect and honor everybody else's answer. So the number one might come as a surprise is fun. Fun. Yeah. And uh, because there's a great verse that says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And what I've seen with leaders is that if they know, if they know you enjoy them and enjoy their company and spend time enjoying them before every single leadership session begins, you end up with the highest motivated team ever. Uh, because we know that, you know, there's a hundred ways to strengthen a, a championship leadership team from nutrients to exercise, to all kinds of things, but fun is like a nuclear bomb yeah. of strength in, in a team of leadership. And the second one I would say very quickly is encouragement. I am not encouragement. So encouragement, encouragement is just, you know, giving a moral boost and, and uh, motivating people. But encouragement is quite different. Encouragement is when you identify each of your leader's greatest fear and you blitz it with an encouragement bomb. So mm -hmm. you target the courage, you put a huge dose right into the center of the greatest fear. When you do that, transformation begins. The third one that's worked for me in the last 40 years in a number of countries is target the kit. Target the kit. It must the kit? Be the kit, yeah. The K-I-D inside oh, okay. yes. your kid. leaders. Because I stopped speaking to adults 10, 15 years ago. When I'm speaking to leadership teams, whether it's a team of 10 or 12, or whether it's 25,000 leaders in a Coliseum in Bogota, Colombia, I no longer speak to adults. I speak to the seven-year-old child mm -hmm. inside the adult. Because the you know most scientists scientific research would indicate that our blueprint for life is pretty much fixed by the time we get to seven years of age. So I speak to if you speak to the the seven year old kid in a leader, boom, the adult takes care of itself and the transformation is deep, radical, and lasting. Yeah. And uh, the last one, very quickly. And finally, it is a kind bomb, K-I-N-D, bomb. And so what I mean by that is that, you know, if I was teaching a team of CEOs tomorrow, I would be saying top of their list and everything they do ought to be kindness. Nothing, nothing transforms a leadership team than kindness, but a kind bomb is, is what I would describe a kind bomb like this. So your team might forget almost every other thing you teach them at times. They, as much as, as hard as they try and practice, they may forget every other thing, but they will never forget the moment that you bombed them 
with an act of kindness in the moment of their greatest need. Yeah. They, they may have been nine years of age or 55 years, but when they needed it most, the dark night, the soul, whatever it is, and you hit them, not just with a random act of kindness, which is great, but with a kind bond. You went over the top. You went the second mile, the third, the fourth, fifth. You know, those are four of the keys, the top of my list in uh, raising and transforming a great leaders. I love it. That's awesome. And those are, uh, you know, 300 episodes in. It's It's been very interesting. I say this all the time, but, you know, how many different versions of championship leadership I've gotten. I don't know that I've really gotten any one that's been any two that have been the same, but uh, that was very, very unique. And I don't know that I've ever had anyone really highlight and, and talk about those four things that you talked about. And, uh, and so that's powerful. So I would, I would, uh, if you're listening, definitely come back and, you know, take some notes and hopefully, you know, take and, and implement some of these things that you're hearing from these episodes and these guests into your life. But what, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your journey, uh, so we can get to know Jimmy Dowds a little bit better and how that's gotten you to where you are today and what is okay. it that you're up to today? Okay, so uh, I'll be 70 in July, so I reckon I've only got about 30 years left to top of my game. So <laughs> that's right. I, I sharpen the pencil and uh, rewrite my vision every 10 years. And um, so I started off um, as a kid. My dad's from Ireland, mother from Glasgow. And uh, between them, they had 17 children. And, uh, you know, in a three-bedroom little house, uh, that's a little bit too much. So 17? Yeah, I have 10 sisters and six brothers. Holy moly. Uh, Are you the oldest? I'm number 12. 12, Okay. People say in Scotland, if you have, there's something wrong with you if you have more than 10 children. Well, <laughs> here it goes. And uh, so when I was 16, I decided, you know, I need to get a life. There's not enough space in this house. So I thought, how do you get a life? Well, first you get a wife. And so I looked in the local newspaper for the most beautiful woman I could find. <laughs> <laughs> I cut the picture out. I take it to my family and announce my wedding. <laughs> and uh, it was six months. I didn't even know who she was, where she yeah. was. But um, it took me six months to find her. And then last year we celebrated uh, 50 years of beautiful marriage oh, together. Wow. And we're both been working in leadership for, for all those 50 years ever since. And so, and that's what we're still doing, mostly mm-hmm. because of the pandemic on Zooms and a number of nations. But anyway, so leadership transformation, and um, we were uh, transforming 3,000 leaders every year at a conference in London and Wembley Arena, and then in, in different countries. And uh, for us, we couldn't care less whether it's a group of six leaders or you know, one time my wife addressed uh, 55,000 ladies in the, wow. the World Cup Stadium in Peru, even though she was the most shy lady I'd ever met. <laughs> it took me 10 years just to get her to read some announcements in public. <laughs> but um, 
We've been transformed over the years in, in tremendous ways, but we're as excited about being in front of one person as we are of the 25,000 that would gather in the Colosseums of Bogota. So that's what we've been up to, Nate. What led you, number one, you literally found your wife, I guess, first off. <laughs> yeah. You found a picture. <laughs> we don't hang about in Scotland. And then man. hunted her down. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't hang about, man. I like it. I love it. <laughs> That's incredible. I get to hear more of that story someday. someday. Yeah. But uh, um, what brought you to being a pastor? Like what brought God into your life and in, well, in journey? You know, we, we were caught up in the whole hippie thing. Yeah. And uh, we were lying in the mud um, with 30,000 other hippies, most of us stoned, half some of them naked listening to a band called Bartley James Harvest in Reading, England. Okay. And I had been given some bad stuff. And to tell the truth, I was going crazy. And I reckon I'd eight more hours on this bad stuff that had been sold me. They, they would sell you anything then. Yeah. Just mix it up with any old thing. And sure. You know. So after five minutes... I had no idea of following God and, and no, no connection with church or anything, but I was desperate. And I cried out to God and I said, you know what, God, if you could get me off the stuff, not that I was addicted or anything, but if you can just get me through the night, then I'll, I'll follow all the days of my life. And it was as simple as that. There was other events took place, but anyway, within 30 seconds, I was sound asleep, woke up, Fresh as a daisy, I took my wife's hand and said, okay, that's the end of that world. Let's step into the new one. Came yeah. home. Wow. And uh, as I said, there's other, other moments, but that was mm -hmm. the big tournament. God showed up and, um, and he's been showing up in ridiculous, exciting and yeah. miraculous ways ever since. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, it almost sounds like uh, Woodstock over here, the, the, the place yeah. that you were at. Yeah. Well, yeah. Jimi Hendrix was my hero back in yeah. those days. Was with, uh, yeah. The playing the American <laughs> National Anthem down there at Woodstock. There yeah. Yeah. There we go. Um, what, uh, well, I want to get into, again, coming back to this being a, you know, special, special episode. They're all special for sure for their own reasons, but the 300th episode and, I don't know what made me think of it, but I, I guess obviously the fact that we were talking and, you know, just had the thought pop into my head, I guess you'd say, as I think uh, God tends to do for us and to ask you, you know, the significance of 300 and uh, being as that tying into the 300th episode here and, and, uh, and you thought almost instantly of Gideon's army and how he, the story of, of how that happened. So if you could, maybe let's, let's dive into that and talk about the significance of 300 in the Bible and story yeah. and how that relates to what we're doing here today. Well, it's an absolutely brilliant story because Gideon, you know, when, when the Lord first came to him and said, you're a mighty warrior, he, he was like, you're winding me up. You know, he was like, <laughs> He was like, I'm just a wee guy. Use the word we over there. Small, well, not not really, but I, yeah. I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, small. Yeah. So he's like, I'm just a wee guy in a wee family in a wee place and all this nonsense. And, and so as with most leaders, they have one 
single self-doubt. And I should mention that we could talk another time about stress because stress is a complete myth. And uh, the root of stress is nothing external, you know, it, but it's, a, it's an inner question of mm-hmm. doubt. And so most leaders think they need a big, huge army. They need big, huge resources. Yeah. They need a big, huge letters after their name. They need something huge. But God, and, and so it, it, Gideon with his self-esteem issue, you know, was thinking, well, maybe when my army's 30,000, maybe maybe I can win the battle. And God's like, hey, okay, we would use a, a word here, a great word in Scotland is fear the goats. So, so God said to him, which is basically people that are afraid, yeah. scared people. So God was all like, right, okay, let's send all the fear big out home, all, all the scared, fearful ones. Yeah. And so he sends 20,000 home. And Gideon's like, how am I going to win the battle? I'm down to 10,000. And I love how God seems to be having fun with them. He said, okay. <laughs> okay, so just to get it through your system, that I am all you need. I am yeah. all you need. He could have trimmed them down to one, but he was. He, he said, "Let's get you. Let's get you down to three hundred. So he got the, the, the army down to three hundred, and now he's totally freaking out. But it's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant message of encouragement to all of us that if God is on your side, it doesn't matter what resources, what um, who's on your side, who's not, the size of your army, the size of your education, the size of your experience." If God's on your side, you could go into the battle full of confidence, full of faith, and win the battle. And I've seen that happening in 40, 50 years. And uh, because I went to the most evil prison in Argentina some years ago, and they had 300 mafia. This is why it's so important. Yeah. 300 mafia controlling the prison, 3,300 murderers, rapists, goodness knows what. And so, but God shows up. One man, one man, not one man with 300, one man on his own, goes in there and begins a church. And the mafia said, we will kill you because you'll ruin our drug market. But when my wife and I arrived there, 2,200 of the inmates had given their life to God were on fire for Jesus. And there wasn't one single mafia guard left. In fact, the prison doesn't have any guards anymore when we were there. The wow. prison was now run by 30 pastors. 30 pastors and 2,200 had come and given their life to Jesus. Wow. There was about 500 people that were ready to join the church of 2,200. But first, they had to learn how to fast and give up television because they found that the inmates that didn't give up television and disconnect themselves from the, the evil stuff going on in the world, when they come out of prison, they didn't make it. Mm-hmm. So the, the 300 for me personally is wonderfully significant yeah. because it, it links me to the greatest prison revival in Argentina and the greatest revival in a man's life who had no self-esteem Gideon. Yeah. How did that come about? How did you end up at the most dangerous prison in Argentina? What happened there? Well, I've been in a number of these prisons. Yeah. 
My favourite one is Angola State Prison in Baton Rouge. It's a favourite one because I met the most unbelievable men of faith there. But in that state, as many of you most know, when you get a life sentence there, you don't see daylight again. But there's a tremendous, there's a tremendous man of God in, in America called Ed, Ed Silvozo, and he sparked a lot of the revival in Argentina. And he would do these tours. And a friend invited me to go with him with my wife. And uh, there is quite a scary moment when they marched 2,200 former rapists, former murderers into a room to have church. And the only thing between you and them is a little piece of rope, the thickness of your pinky finger. And you're like, <laughs> well, I hope they're really changed these days. Yeah, right. so, not just 90%, but it was mm-hmm. marvelous, brilliant, inspiring moment. Yeah, I can I can only imagine. That's amazing. What's uh the thing that stuck out as I was revisiting uh Gideon's story in the Bible um in Judges, it was uh you know how often he he like questioned God a lot of times in that like right. He was like, Hey, you know, he asked him to give him proof, which number one, uh, there's a few things I'm like, man, to ask God to prove to you that he's real right yeah. almost seems like blasphemy i guess a little bit and then yeah. uh and then he didn't just do it once right he did it a number of times you know the, yeah. the, the few different times of hey if the ground is dry but my rug or my carpet is is wet then i'll know it's you and then that happens and that's not enough and and then he asked well <laughs> you know, if you could do this one more time for me i'm like you know because there's i think we can all relate to that, especially as leaders, because there's often many times where I think you question path that you're on or the things that you ask people to do or to, you know, to lead for others to to trust in you and to lead you. And and so I think there's, you know, some parallels there for sure. But it was just, uh, you know, that's what really stood out to me is how much he questioned God before he really uh, was able to fully submit to him and what God yeah. was telling him to do. I mean, and I can understand it as well. He's like, you, you want me to t- go from 20,000 uh, pe- men to, to 300 to fight an army over 100,000? Like, are you nuts? Yeah. What? Yeah. Like, how is this supposed to happen? And God's just telling him to trust in him. And he's telling him that, you know, he's, he's going to be okay and that this is going to happen. But yeah, so, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I think we could all relate to that because, you know, it's, it's hard for people to give their life to Christ and to really submit. And, um, and they probably have a lot more reason and aren't being asked necessarily to do something as big as that. Right. Yeah. Well, everyone goes through, every leader goes through a season where the heavens are like brass. There's no prayer being answered. There's Mm -hmm. no sense of the presence of God. And Ruth Carter Stapleton, the sister of Jimmy Carter, one shot a book in his footsteps, and it was brilliant. And she went through two years of torment. And, to what, and she was a counselor. One lady was coming down her path, and she just opened the door, unwashed, hair not combed, and she just said, I can't help you. I'm in a worse state than you. You know, go away. Yeah. And uh, the lady went away and emailed her, uh, sent her a letter after that said, I'm completely healed. I'm completely healed. She said, wait. <laughs> and, and, and she said, yeah, because I always thought you were perfect. I always thought you could hear God. 
And oh, now wow. I realize I'm just the same as you. I'm okay. Yeah. But but the, the, the diamond in the book was that she'd gone through a two-year period where because God wasn't answering her questions, he was gone. And mm-hmm. he took her to the wilderness where he led the people with fire and a cloud and then he removed an awareness of his presence. Now, this is very, very key because we all think he removes his presence. He never, he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. But he does remove an awareness of his presence mm-hmm. so that our faith can grow. And um, the problem with most Christian leaders is they're too nice. But Jesus was loving, kind, forgive me. He wasn't nice. Yeah. Yeah. He once called a bunch of guys a brood of vipers. He once took a whip to some guys in church. Yeah. And so, well, we're too nice. But God copes it. He, you know, God doesn't, he hasn't got a fragile emotional system where he's going to have a nervous breakdown if we ask too many questions or ask the wrong thing. He's a father. And so, so but in fact, I, I, I had run out of questions two months ago to ask God about a situation. So I picked a fight. I don't recommend it to everybody. It's not yeah. the most perfect theology, but I've run out of questions. And like Jacob, I thought, and I got a phone call from a friend whose husband was in a coma for 50 solid days. And she called and said, hey, I'm a gym. And lots of people praying for this guy. So I'm not saying it was me, my prayer. I'm just telling, she said, could you pray? I said, no, I won't pray. I'm going to drive there right now. It's 4.30 in the morning, winter, cold rain. I drove to the other side of Glasgow and walked around the hospital seven times. I just walked around and said, God, you promised to raise the dead. You promised to show up when we pray. You promised to answer. I said, come on now. One measly little Scotsman needs to be raised for the death. If that's too much for you, if that mask is too much, you need, to, you need to explain something to me. You need to explain because for the last three Mondays, the doctors have begged his wife, let us switch the machines off. This guy's brain dead, his body's dead. He's dead, dead, dead. Well, I, I picked a fight and uh, I repented after, but I picked a fight and I said, God, all I'm asking is for one measly friend to be raised from the dead. The very next day, boom, mm. the organs in his body kicked in. And uh, that man, I'm only talking a few months ago now. Yeah, I remember he's that. He's now leading worship now. He's, wow. He's preaching around the country now. He's, he's uh, unbelievable. And yeah. so, yeah, I love it that you highlight at the beginning, we don't ask enough questions. Yeah. With yeah. God. And we don't get down a business. I'm talking about me. I'm not I'm not putting that on anybody else. But there we go. Yeah. So you're saying we should ask uh one hundred percent should ask more questions. One hundred percent. It's relationship. Mm-hmm. Humbly yeah. ask, ask, ask. you know my initial thought I think was like uh almost how dare you ask questions, right? Like or, yeah. you know something well, like that like wow i think two things we don't ask do enough and it's the two things he says he says he will do whatever we ask or imagine and he said if you go to your neighbor's house for a, a loaf of bread a, a loaf of bread and uh, he doesn't answer 
uh, she's keep nipping his head, you know, keep <laughs> yeah. banging on the door. <laughs> and if you nip his head long enough, he'll come out yeah. and give you bread. And so yeah. God, God said, this is how we ask. But we don't ask enough and we don't imagine enough. So would you say asking, you know, asking questions, because I've heard this from a number of people, clients, Edmund was one of them. He was one of the gentlemen that the, to, you had the chance to talk to that group of men that you came in, had the conversation with a few weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really good. Yeah. Edmund, really he's, good. you know, he's, he struggles with prayer. He doesn't know how to pray. And so I guess, you know, it seems weird or awkward to him probably because he, because of the idea of what he thinks prayer is. So I guess my question, long way of getting around to it is having those conversations and asking those questions, would that be considered a form of prayer with God? Yeah, 100%. So that, yeah. that gentleman has no problem with prayer at all. He has a problem with what he thinks prayer should be. Yeah, yeah. But, but when Jesus said, I didn't come to call you to be slaves, I called you to be friends. So with respect, with honor, he just needs to talk to God the same way he talked that day to you and me, like yeah, friends. right. Talk like friends, ask questions. And um, because God doesn't want some kind of structure. He, he just wants relationship. He just mm-hmm. wants he just wants relationship. Yeah. And so when you get that, and you know, when I became a Christian, it was weird, you know, because people would tiptoe around the church, you know, and whisper like like God was going to have a nervous breakdown. You know, <laughs> yeah. a wee nervous breakdown if they shouted or you know. <laughs> That strange behavior. And, yeah. And listen, I respect all forms of church, all yeah. forms of building stained glass windows. But, I, you know, when we built our church as an ancient, it was an ancient lemonade factory. I asked them to keep all the steel, all the industrial parts as much as they could for the simple reason I didn't want people tiptoeing around mm-hmm. like it yeah. was like some holy place. Jesus took down the temple, the holy place. Yeah. And he said, from now on, we are the holy place. He dwells in us. We are the temple. So when the kids come in, hey, pastor, and they're high and which they, you know, they should be full of noise. Of course, respect and honor. But, um, and that's part of the image that's been passed on to us, that God has got some kind of nervous condition. Yeah. We've got to approach them. In a certain way. Well, I think along those same lines, you know, there's always been also something as I'm attending church and people talk differently. And you know? <laughs> this, is, this is an honest to God thought I've always had and probably uh, never really uh, been willing to say it out loud. But, you know, I've always just thought it's weird how when pastors or people from the front of the church, they end up, they have like this different, and I, you know, I get it also, but they have this different tone. They sound weird. They sound fruity. Like, it's like, yeah. who, why did you all of a sudden just get this new accent when you're, you know, cause I think that's part of what people think now you're supposed to do, which seems weird to someone like myself or an everyday person. That's like, that's weird. Like that's how I I'm supposed to have conversation with God. Yeah. I don't know. Does well, that make sense? <laughs> it makes absolutely perfect sense. Nate. And even as a pastor, my biggest problem was going to conferences. I didn't have a clue what they were talking about half the time. Yeah. I, I didn't grow up with that language. Yeah. 
And so I made a radical decision when I'd been passed for a number of years. I was scared. Now, we've all got a little bit of a telephone voice. And a sure. Voice. Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. And if you don't, no one will have a clue. Yeah. You know, yeah. sometimes in some countries, I have to use two interpreters. One <laughs> to interpret from Scottish into English. Another one from English into Thailand. Thai language, yeah, whatever sure. it is. And so I get that you have to tidy up a wee bit. But we put Saul's armor on sometimes, you know, with our language. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and I think that I made a decision because I could see this was happening to me. And I was beginning to lose touch with the man on the street and the language he uses and the way he yeah. speaks. And so I made a radical decision to become one of the first pastors or chaplains of a professional soccer team in Scotland. Manchester United was the only professional soccer team in the United Kingdom that paid a pastor. And Scotland only had four. And I made a decision to to go there every single week and be around footballers, cursing, swearing, manager (laughs) shouting, you know, rough and tumble. Yeah. Every week I would go there and be amongst them, lead many to Jesus, you know, make great friends, help them to be great champions, give them faith principles, no matter what the faith were. And I did that for the simple reason I was losing touch with the man on the street. And I was beginning to lose the ability to know what do they talk about? How do they speak? What interests them? So I did that. And I'm still doing that in football, supposed to this day to a different extent. But for the last 20 odd years, I've worked in the church and on the street. And I did it completely voluntary. And now Scotland has something like 325 pastors in soccer teams. Wow. Helping players with their problems, saving them from suicide, giving them kingdom principles. So, yeah, I get it, Nate. But when I saw that hand to me, and now talking to somebody in church or the man on the street, I'll give you the secret. Many leader, Christian leaders are scared of talking to the man on the street because yeah. they no longer, you know, and it's not their fault. Sometimes the pressures of the job demands too much of their time. Right. And they're unable yeah. to, to do that. But I have yeah. loved, loved spending so much of my life with the guys on the street. You know, yeah. Yeah. even a thing like when a club was in the top league and they had no money, this is how much they had no money. Yeah. They called me pastor, we have a problem. This is the fun bit, guys. You got about five. They said, um, we don't have any pants for the players. Now in Scotland, pants are underpants, not, <laughs> <Okay. laughs> not, not the outer ones. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I said, you must be winding me up. And he said, no, because the club provide them and wash them after every game. But I think the players, I don't know, they disappeared. So <laughs> yeah. I had to go and get a bunch of money and give them money to buy pants, wow. under pants for the yeah. players for the next game. How much more fun could you have in life <laughs> yeah, no to watch your team on television playing? Uh. <laughs> And you bought their pants. <laughs> this is Christianity. On the street, this is oh, Christianity I love it. On the street, brother. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> like I bought their, 
I bought their pants. You see those players out there? <laughs> oh my God, they would be naked if it wasn't for me. <laughs> I'm just joking. That's good stuff. What's uh what's a moment for you? This is a question that I like to ask is kind of a fork in the road moment for you, uh, kind of a critical moment where obviously you made the decision that you had that has you where you are today, but you know, had you chosen a different path, you could be somewhere completely different in life. Is there a moment or two that comes to mind for you that you could share? I think there's a lot of people that are faced with those moments, if not often yeah, on a daily basis. There's two moments. One, when I was um, a little kid, maybe eight, my mother decided she had one child too many. So she put me in an orphanage and each night the kids would cry and go to the sleep. They would scream and cry. And I was like, What's the problem here? Even as a little kid, I've always been a dreamer and uh, everything just seems so simple to me. And uh, maybe too simple, maybe just because I'm a simple man, I'm certainly not the most intelligent tool in the toolbox, guys. But, <laughs> but I was like, why did everybody cry? All I need to do is find one adult that will sponsor one child and we could solve this orphanage problem big time around the world. And through no instruction of my own, and, and uh, now at 70 years of age, our family are all involved with orphans. Most of it is through one of my sons, who is the CEO of the fastest growing orphan charity in the UK. He has over 110,000 orphans. His team take care of daily, three meals a day. But each one of my family and some of my grandchildren, we all have orphans personally that, that we sponsor. And so so that was a transforming moment. Yeah, that's every time kid. you tell that story, I just uh, kind of blows my mind that, you know, you, your parents had too many kids and had to, to give one of you up. And, and the fact that uh, you were able to have that, I don't know, perspective at seven or eight years old is just uh, pretty incredible. But it's no different to the moment I just told you about when I was 16. I, got, I, got, I need a life, need a life, yeah. no problem. Yeah. One, is waiting <laughs> right. for me, one is waiting for me in the newspaper. <laughs> and she's been the most wonderful. In fact, I'll tell you a secret. I managed to get her a new job this week. She's got yeah. a brand new job. She's so excited about it. But um, so we're still having that kind of fun. Yeah. We're certainly not resting. So that was a transformation moment. And then the second one was when the richest soccer club in the world, uh, the richest soccer club in the world at the time, a friend of mine was doing some work there. And I went down when I was... I went down with them for a fun day to the manager's dressing room. Uh, I used to be an electrician on nuclear submarines and I thought I'll go down and do a little bit of electrical work. But when I was there, the project manager asked to see me and he asked me if I would mentor him. And uh, that was a changing moment because most of the leaders I'd been working with up to that time is what I call priests. Uh, or pastors or leaders, they were church leaders. But in that moment, it changed me forever. The Lord said, I'm calling you also to go into the marketplace and raise up the kings in the marketplace. A king's in the marketplace would just be any believer in any job in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm working with leaders in 17 different countries, 
Some of them, the poorest of the poor and others are multimillionaires, businessmen. And so I'm now mentoring, pastoring, coaching, call it what you like, in a whole different sphere of influence. That was a changing moment. Yeah, so yeah. I was yeah. only working mostly with church leaders, but now I'm in seven spheres of influence. I'm, yeah. I'm in government and in media, and I'm in um, uh, finance, in family, business, I think. Or I'll send a link for, to you guys yeah. of the seven with more details of the seven spheres of influence of, of leaders I'm shaping and forming now. So these were a couple of life-changing moments because we all have that moment. Yeah, absolutely. I'm goosed. I've got nothing left in the tank, nothing left to give. And then boom, one yep. divine moment changes right. everything. So. Yeah, absolutely. And that, uh, I think that goes back a bit to what we've been, we were talking about with Gideon and, and uh, oh, just continuing oh, to stay down the path. Right. And, and keep the faith. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just when you think you're finished, that's the moment when you, Step aside on the bus and let God drive the bus. And yeah. it takes you to a whole new level. And yeah. the only human being that can cause defeat in your life is the one you see in the morning, in the mirror each morning. That's the only yeah. human being in the universe that can cause defeat in your life. Yeah, And if absolutely. you never allow yourself the luxury of a single self-doubt or negative thought, Never allow yourself the luxury of a single self-doubt or negative thought. You're poised to be taken to the next level. And as I'm turning 70, I'm more excited about the new yeah. levels that are heading my way. And uh, so... Yeah, that's really fun to hear, um, you know, as a few years younger than you. <laughs> to, <laughs> At least to hear that you're, you, you know, about to turn 70 and, and, and you still have that fire and that excitement for life. Because I think sometimes, again, your perception of what it might be like at that age is that it's life is over. And, and uh, I suppose it would be if that's the outlook that you had. But Oh, I'm telling you what, brother, uh, you know, people get panic when they turn 40, 50, 60. I cannot wait to free score and 10 because yeah. then the fun begins. Yeah. Because the thing is about it is you don't worry about all the little things anymore. You right. don't lose sleep in all the little things anymore. You just know that, you know, a third moment, I was going to mention a third game-changing moment, if that's okay. Yeah, please. It's relevant this because last Christmas, uh, Christmas 2020, a uh, professor stormed into my hospital bedroom and said, Mr. Dows, your lungs are finished. Your chest is finished. We have one hour to save your life. One hour. And you have to sign your life over to a dice on a computer at Oxford University. And they will roll the dice and the dice will decide whether you get Donald Trump's drug, whether you get this drug, and we're going to bleach you for seven days with high doses of experimental drugs. I said, do they work? And she said, we have no idea. That's why we call them experimental. And they rolled the dice, and the main drug I needed, the dice said no, because from that moment, your life is in the hands of a dice on a computer. Yeah. And not a human being. But the dice yeah. said no, and the consultant came in, and he was all discouraged. At this point, I was on oxygen. 
I couldn't get one single deep breath or walk more than five steps. And he came in and he said, oh, I've got bad news, Mr. Downs. The computer said, no, you need this drug. I burst out laughing because faith people have two antennas, one to the man on earth and one to heaven. And if you allow the one to earth to call the shots, you're goose. You're in big trouble. Yeah. But if you keep the one to heaven switched on, so as he's talking to me, I'm listening to the one from heaven. And this is what the one from heaven said. And I said, I said excuse me, sir, don't you be discouraged. Don't you be discouraged because you have your faith in the dice. I have my faith in my dad who rolls the dice. And yeah. from the moment I came into my mother's womb, Every time he rolls a dice, I get a double six every time. <laughs> so whatever the dice says, I'm coming out of this hospital in 40 hours, like Superman. And yeah. I did. I came out of that hospital, oh, my God, brand new, 100%. Wow. A little bit yeah. weary, a little bit tired, get energy back, but zero COVID or post-COVID symptoms in 40 hours. Yeah. Amazing. That was a change. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to encourage people out there who think, you know, I've got one gallon left in the tank. I've got one dollar left in the bank. I've got one hour. Hey, your father is insanely in love with you. Your father, God. And if you just put your trust in him one minute more, he'll flip the dice for you. Double six. Yeah. Love it. Appreciate you sharing that, that experience real quick. I getting close to closing it up here, but I did want to talk just a little bit. You mentioned it every 10 years and, and you, you, you're coming up on 70 and, and planning for the next 30 years. And, and, uh, I do often ask, cause I think vision is a big part of championship leaders success. I guess you'd say is having, having a big vision, uh, usually a bit bigger vision than others are able to see themselves. So, um, could you, share a little bit about your vision and, and where you want to go over the next 30 years? Oh, my goodness. Right. So there was a wee man in my town some years ago, and uh, they, they would not let him into the big park because of family arguments. And he began to dream that he'd become the richest man in the whole world, and he would give the park, libraries, and swimming pools for free to kids who could not afford it. When any of you guys come to visit me, I'll take you to this man's house. The man's name is Andrew Carnegie. And Andrew Carnegie got in, went to America, got involved with the steel industry, and yeah. he put railway lines all across America. He put railway lines all I'm not saying he was perfect, and I'm not saying he didn't have a bit of flesh like we all do, but what I'm saying is that this one man, and his secret was to advance while everybody else was retreating. Yeah. So when people in Scotland most times turn 70, they retreat to the golf course, which I call televised sky, not sky television, televised sky. What I mean by that is when it's on television, you can't see the ball. You can only see sky. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Where is it? <laughs> And so my seven year, my, my next vision for the next 10 years 
is to put a base in all seven continents in the world and put principal tram lines, make, create tram lines, railway lines of principles and biblical success thoughts all through all seven continents for people, for leaders, and for, for, for businessmen, for influence, for basically anybody that wants to advance to the next level. Yeah, wow. And advance the kingdom wherever they are. And I've seen this being done by the poorest of the poor in the worst prisons in the fifth world, not just the third world. So I want to put tram lines across all. And for anybody that wants to go to the next level, all they need to do is get the train on these railway lines, these principles, and boom, you know, do, do what nobody else is doing, go where nobody else is going, and get results that nobody else is getting. Purely and simply because they're aligning themselves with kingdom principles of advancing. Yeah. That's a big, uh, big mission, right? And not one that you probably can do on your own either. So, yeah, I love it. Yeah. No, no, we're going to need your help uh, to get us in shape right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> count me in on that for sure. Um, Come on. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I do appreciate your time and, and thank you for being yeah. here. This has been a special, uh, like we said, the 300th episode. There'll be 300 more and um, we'll keep it going, keep it moving. But uh, as we do wrap this up, is there one or two things that, you know, if the listeners were to implement today would help move their life forward today, what would you say those would be? Yeah, what was the question again? Yeah, if you had one or two guiding principles that if, you know, people were to implement into their life today would help move them their life forward in a positive way, what would that be? Okay. I'll give you one big one, one major mm -hmm. one. And it's not from the Braveheart movie. No. <laughs> well, you know, you could, there's a version of it there. There is a version of it. But yeah. it didn't come from that. It came to me from the man in the past that invented bubble wrap. Okay. Invented bubble wrap in New Zealand. And, and he gave it to me 10 years before the Braveheart movie came in. But I think yeah. Mel Gibson pinched it anyway. Yeah, he here did. It yeah. Here it is. Here, here it is. I'm just joking. Here it is. If you ever wake up in the morning, I'll give you two sides. That if you ever wake up in the morning and you're not in the middle of a fight, pick one. Start one. Don't wait until life beats you up, doubts beat you up, disappointments beat you up, discouragement. Mm -hmm. Identify the fight that was picked on you when you were asleep. That fear that came in during the night that didn't make any sense, that anxiety, that little worry. Pick a fight with them first thing in the morning. Bind each one, renounce them in Jesus' name, and get filled with the fun and the joy of God in worship and in the word of God in the morning so that when you go out and when you do that, you do what Jesus did. Jesus never left the house to pick a fight. He shook the apple trees. He shook the apple trees on his knees. And so he spent the rest of the day merely picking up the apples that had fallen off the trees. Yeah. You don't need to go through your day, day fighting no one. And, uh, and, and uh, so that would be the first. I actually will give a second one very okay. quickly. Yeah. 
And this is the whole world right now is focused on a little place in Russia and a little man called Vladimir Putin. Before pandemic broke out, I visited um, Putin's hometown of St. Petersburg and I visited the little island where he stores his nuclear warships. Now, the world knows about Putin, St. Petersburg, but who knows about the greatest move of God ever I've heard of in Russia that was on that exact same spot before Putin put his nuclear base there. And there was a man called St. John of Kronstadt had 5,000 people show up at five o'clock every morning. And for two hours he talked and miracles galore happened every single morning. So the next time you hear the news, the war troubles on the media, forget the antenna that the media's given you. Switch on the St. John of Kronstadt antenna because John, St. John of Kronstadt, the seeds he planted there, they will bear fruit. We're going mm-hmm. to see the greatest revival ever in that place. But his favorite quote wakes me up every morning. And very quickly, this is it. If you ever wake up in the morning and find yourself in a dark place, look up and you will see the Trinity, the face of the Father, the face of the Son, and the face of the Holy Spirit shining on you brighter than the sun. Come on. <laughs> I love you. Awesome. Hey. Appreciate it. Um, okay, beautiful. Man. What are a few ways that the listeners can you know, see more about you and, and uh, what you're up to? Okay. At the moment, I'm keeping everything simple. Yeah. And uh, I haven't written a book in 50 years because far too many books have been written on theories, on proven. Mm-hmm. And I, I decided I would test my principles for 50 solid years before I would write one thing. Because, yeah. And so anything I'm sharing is ironclad tested principles of 50 solid years. Yeah. And so they can, the best way at the moment to follow me is on Facebook, yep. Jimmy Dowds, that's J-I-M-I, Jimmy Dowds, log on there, connect with me, and then I'll connect them at some point with my uh, locker room coaching uh, event when it kicks off again yeah so that's the best way to get you have you're going to be writing a book here soon right i've already written it you've written uh, it it's in the hands of a new york times bestseller i love it so that angie joyce meyer is the best-selling okay uh, writer in america christian on the christian scene but annie downs annie is who i was thinking behind her so yeah. my book is with Annie at the moment, and, Annie. and she's uh, giving it the thumbs up. And then um, at the right time, we'll get it out of there. Awesome. Love it. All um, right. Well, thank you. Appreciate you being here. And uh, this has been been an honor. Thank you. God bless, guys. Thank you. Let's go. Let's go. In 05 and 06, I deployed to Kuwait. I used to wait every day for them to say, Nature going home. I miss my life, miss my wife. For 15 months, she was all alone. 
But when I got back, I felt out of control Feeling entitled, I put my life on hold I keep on drinking, so I'm sinking in a river of liquor Me and my wife weren't alright, I didn't reconnect with it I had a business, insurance agent, and rental properties But is there something bigger than this? I know there's gotta be, so I invested in myself I started seeing coaches Life is a camera, I fixed the lens and now I see him focus Now my life's unrecognizable From my life just a couple years ago 17 plus years of marriage It's never been better than this And we got three kids, that's who I do it for I'm gonna be a leader I'ma lead the way, girl